Anyway, hey, if you haven't signed up for financial peace and that's something um, you've been kind of on the fence about, we have a table at the bottom of the stairs and either Chuck or Scott, who are um, going to be running it, are going to be there to give you more info. So feel free to just pop in and talk to them, even if you aren't sure. Are you guys hungry for chili? Are you excited about the chili cook-off? Just as a point of clarification, if you, like me, did not make chili, you still come. Because we have like hot dogs and salad to make you feel good about your New Year's resolution. And also you can hang out with your people and find out who makes the best chili in the church, which is key. Let's pray. Jesus, everything we are, and everything we do is because of you. Outside of you, we can't do anything. We can't learn. We can't access information. We can't change our lives. We can't show up for people. We can't show up for you. So invite the power of the Holy Spirit to help us this morning, to be with us, to guide us. Father, may my words be glorifying to you. May our hearts be transformed because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our um, time in Exodus, as we did last week. So kind of the overview of the book of Exodus is the beginning part, which was like slavery, and the Israelites were in slavery, and then God brought them out. And so we talked about that, right? Moses with the basket, and then the plagues. And then there was this grace period where they were in the wilderness for three months before they got the Ten Commandments, where God was just kind of dealing with their trauma of having been enslaved for, say, 400-some years, where God was showing them who he was and helping them understand how do you transition from bondage to freedom— and then there's what we'll do next week, which is, how then do you live? Like, so that's the Ten Commandments, uh, that's the covenant. So a living and worship and rules and covenant, that's next week. But today we're talking about that grace in the wilderness. Because we don't necessarily, we know about the grace of God and that God loves us. But it can be difficult when you're having a hard time or you're just kind of tired (laughs) to remember that the grace of God is present, that God isn't standing over you kind of disappointed that you didn't do better. And so we're going to talk about um, how they found their freedom in the wilderness. And there was two key points. The first is they had to learn that they could depend on God. They had to be completely dependent on God. We cannot be free. We cannot live free lives. We cannot live the lives we're created to live unless we live them completely dependent on God. And the second lesson is that they had to learn to be completely dependent on each other, which is spicy and difficult. And we're going to get into that. So first things first. Our freedom depends on God. Our freedom requires each other. So this is what was going on. 
We'll back up actually one. So actually, um, I have my Bible. Sometimes I just preach using slides in my notes. But I feel like whenever we're talking about stories in the Bible, it's actually a lot easier to use the Bible itself. So if you have a Bible, I recommend you crack it open to Exodus 15. If you have the Bible app, the Bible in your pocket, then also Exodus 15. We're going to be talking about 15 to 18, but um, anyway, without that, you might miss a little bit of subtext. I'll still have stuff on the slides, but it's helpful to have your scripture. So um, the first thing... Uh, verse 15 starts when they, uh, Moses and them had just crossed the Red Sea. So they had just gotten to safety. The waters had crushed over the chariots of Pharaoh. They realized for the first time they're free. And Moses and Miriam write this beautiful, uh, long song of praise to God. One of the interesting things to note is when you see poetry within stories in the Old Testament— Typically, that poem was written before the rest of the story. Because it was an oral tradition, right? That it was passed down story to story to story. Not all of it was written down all at the same time. They kind of took notes as they went along to make sure it was accurate. But they say that um, this song of Moses and Miriam is one of the oldest actual full writings in the Old Testament. So you can peruse that at your time, but because we're going to be covering three chapters, I'm not going to do it, but it's quite beautiful, and I recommend it. All right. So first things first. So they're delivered. They're on their own. They're completely vulnerable. And we think about freedom as like the end of the story, right? But when we consider like our history in America, uh, getting our freedom from the British was not the end of our story, right? That was kind of the beginning, because then we had to decide, how do we then become a nation, right? I mean, we we were free, they weren't going to tax us, but then how do we build roads, right? How do we have a justice system, all of this stuff? And so this is what the Israelites were going through, is that they came from being ruled by somebody else, and they were a loose collection of tribes, but they had to figure out, how do we form into a nation, And the first thing was dependence on God. And so they're in the wilderness. Imagine you're in the desert. There's no signs. There's no anything. No giant eagle. No running water. No restrooms. And God's like, well, you're free. Good luck. Obviously not. So here they wander for a while. And then they realize they're out of water. That's very scary if you're in the middle of the wilderness. I went on a road trip with my kids over the summer, and, like, we drove through desert places wherein I just really was happy that we had extra water in the back of the car in case. You know, when you drive, like, hours without seeing humanity or rivers or water, you're like, (laughs) you feel extra vulnerable. And so this was what was going on for them. It was this vulnerability of being without any source of water. So for three days, they traveled in the desert without any water, completely dependent on the fact that God said this was a good idea and that Moses would get them to where they need to be. But finally, they find water. They're thrilled. They're very excited, and it's disgusting. And it's muddy, and it's murky, and it's undrinkable. And that was a little um, rough on them. 
So this is what they said, because they were feeling some type of way. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Imagine, now, here they had come out of slavery, God had done all of this stuff. Their first inclination was to complain. It wasn't, Moses, are you going to help us? It was to grumble. Grumbling means to remain in a sustained state of complaint. So they complained. And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and you keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So here they are, they're out there, they're vulnerable, they're nervous, and, here, and God brings an incredible sign. Look at this. Out of nowhere is this nasty water. It's not drinkable, but I'm going to make it drinkable. I'm going to provide fresh water out of nothing because of who I am. So six weeks after they have left Egypt now, this happens, and then they run out of food. And in the desert, the whole community, again, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out here in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. There is a particular type of audacity to say to Moses, after he had just, God had created this incredible, you know, water out of nothing moment. After he had raised his hands and the Red Sea had parted. After, you know, plagues and all of this stuff had happened for their deliverance. As soon as their food sources are threatened, they immediately grumble and say, you brought us out here just to let us die. Isn't that right? Great. You know, if we were in Egypt, we would have pots of meat. In Egypt, where you were enslaved, that was such a good time for you. You were loving that. And it's funny, you know, when I read the Bible and I, I read about them grumbling so much, I have a tendency to get like a little smuggish. Do you ever like read the Bible and when someone's like behaving badly, you feel a little smug? Like, <laughs> complaining again, are we? Wow. And yet, if we are going to be finding ourselves in the story, which is kind of the idea here, we find where we are, where we come in, don't we kind of do the same thing all the time? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I find myself in the same position as the Israelites. Sometimes, after I've lived a life for 30 however many years, of God providing over and over and over and over and over and over, Something happens, and my immediate thing is to be like, Ugh, great, now everything's going to go bad. Am I the only one? Do you ever find yourself? Do you ever? Like, uh, this week, my stand-up freezer died, and then, like, the week before that, something else big in my house died, and then a couple weeks before that, my furnace died, and then right before that, my dishwasher died at Thanksgiving week, and, like, I guess I've been feeling a little spicy about that. You know, 
just a little extra. And yet, God gave me my house. God gave me children who can wash my dishes. God gave me a lovely cold snap so we could put all of our freezer goods in a bin and chuck it on the patio with a rock on the top and call it the prairie times while we're sorting out our freezer situation. God provides, right? God provides, but oh man, I do like to get a fuss in there first. And I think it's interesting, here Moses, Moses brings the same concerns that the people had to God, doesn't he? I mean, when the people have fussed and this issue happens, like with the water, God went right to God and he, Moses went right to God and he said, hey, this is a problem. And so it's not a problem to acknowledge that there's an issue. It's not even a problem to say this issue is painful and annoying. It is where we have aimed it and where we are looking for the solution to come from. It is frustrating to have all of the things in your house break. It is also very expensive. And it's not a problem to say this hurts and this is terrible, but aiming it to God and saying, okay, God, you are the God who brought our family into this home. You are the God who has provided for us every time we've needed you. And you're the God who's going to provide for us now. And I don't see it, and I can't afford it, but I trust you. And he, he works it out, doesn't he? Every time, every time, every time. And so this is what God was doing for the Israelites in the wilderness, is he was establishing this pattern of care so that they would know I am the God who took care of you before. I'm the God who's going to take care of you again. I'm the God who took care of you with the water. I'm also the God who's going to take care of you with the food. I'm also the God who's going to take care of you 200 years in the future. You are a nation who is going to know who I am over and over and over again. So then, after the grumbling with the food... Then Moses says to Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Now, in my less sanctified state, my response to this might be like, Oh, they're going to get in trouble. Doesn't it seem like that? You're, you're parents, you know, you're like, when your kids is acting out or whatever, and uh, they come to you, Oh, so-and-so punch me, and you're like, Send them to me. So that, you know, you know, the whole, the reaction, the ripple effect, the rest of the house. <gasps> Mom says, send them to me. Right? And so this is kind of our assumption as we see this. They have grumbled, which you'll see later on in the book of Numbers, they get in real big trouble for. So here they are. They grumbled before the water. They're grumbling for food. And God tells Moses, you send them to me. And this is what God does. There was the glory of the Lord appeared to them in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
In a time where God could have said, how dare you question me? How dare you not believe me? Didn't I do this stuff? Didn't I bring you out of Egypt? Didn't I bring you water to drink? Didn't I do all of these things? He says, I'm going to provide for you so that you will know that I am the Lord, your God. You might know that I am the Lord God, but I need you to know that I am your God. I'm your provider. I am your caretaker. That it's not just God above all, but God for you. And then God brings forth the quail like he promises, and he sends manna every day, which is like, who knows what it is? It came from heaven, kind of like flakes. People have different ideas, but the essential point is that they came every morning and they could gather what they needed and create food for their families, and it would be gone by the night, and they couldn't keep it overnight. So every day, they had to be reminded that God is the one who gives them food. Every morning, God is the one who gives them food. He doesn't give them what they need for next week. He gives them what they need for today. What is God doing? He is establishing a pattern with his people for who he is and how he behaves and the ways in which he shows up to be their God. In church, we find ourselves in the story, don't we? We find ourselves in the story being like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do about next week. But we don't need to know because my God provides today. And he's provided every day. Because he is faithful. And he, and he is the God who knows what we need when we need it. And he's the God who didn't take this traumatized people and punish them for not knowing who he was. He was the God who saw them in their weakness and came close and said, I'm going to buy you lunch. He was the God who didn't leave them to figure it out on their own. He was every day, every day providing, every day loving, establishing a pattern so that they would know him. Not only that, but he showed up in the cloud. Where do we see the cloud the last time? Remember last week? It was when they were in the wilderness running from Pharaoh, right? And it was the cloud that it would appear by day and they could follow it because there was no signs. They didn't know where they were going. But they could follow the pillar of cloud and know that God was taking them to safety. So here our safety God shows up and says, remember, I'm the same guy. Remember, 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 remember. And for us, we do the same thing. We remember. We remember. I remember the times that my bank account was at zero and I got an extra check that I wasn't expecting when I was in my 20s and I could pay for groceries. I remember the time that I lent my car to somebody and I didn't know how I was going to get gas for the next week and they filled it up and I had no idea where they were going to. I remember the times that people dropped stuff off when I was having a hard time after my mom died for three weeks. For three weeks after my mom died, people brought us dinner. I didn't make dinner for almost a month. I remember when God showed up for me because I see these little track marks behind me of what God has done, and the same for them. God is establishing this track record of showing up. 
So the first lesson in the wilderness is stay dependent on God. And if that's hard, the second one is a treat. Freedom requires each other. That God didn't just teach them to depend on him. He taught them to depend on each other. Remember that, like, when they were in slavery, it was mostly tribal. I mean, they were all Israelites, but their allegiance, you know, they were the tribe of Asher and Dan and this and that and this and that. And they didn't have communal laws. They didn't have the same structures. And so what God is doing is he's taking them from extended family to nation. In order to do that, he had to teach them to depend on each other. And so we remember kind of at the beginning, this is creation. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. If we kind of remember in creation, when God made each thing, he said it was good, right? He made the birds and the, the animals, and he said, that's good. And made plants, and he's like, that's good. But notice here, he made Adam, and he said, mm, not quite. And this isn't a gender thing, right? It isn't that, like, if Eve had been first, God would have been, like, perfect. No, 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 although it's funny. Uh, this is about, it, it wasn't good for humanity to be alone. That the idea of, of a single, solitary human, first of all, didn't image God, who is three in one. And second of all, we image God when we're together, male and female, and third of all, isolation is not God's plan for man in creation. He looked at Adam, he saw he was lonely, and he said, absolutely not. I will create a helper for him. And we can think, you know, when we hear the term helper, in, when it's in English, it sounds a little patronizing, doesn't it? You know, when my kids are little, they're my special helpers. And so then when we hear that Eve is made to be the helper, you're like, absolutely not. I love you, O oh Lord, but I am not created to be a special helper to a man. Sometimes we feel that way. So the term helper here is ezer. It's a Hebrew word. It's used 19 times in the Old Testament to describe the help God gave his people. So the only time that it is used to talk about people helping other people is in creation. Is Eve helping Adam? The rest of the time, all almost 20 times, it's God's help to his people. So it'll be like, you know, David cried out, and God said, I will, I will help you. I will send myself as a helper. Your help is on the way. And so this Ezer is a divine assistance. And so when God created Eve, he said, it is not good for humanity to be on their own. They need help. And if later in the Old Testament he was talking about his help, here he said, I'm going to create another person that can provide this divine help. I'm going to create assistance for Adam. And Adam is going to be assistance for Eve. That this is my picture of humanity, is togetherness. And so if that is kind of God's plan for humanity, at the very beginning, then it's definitely his plan for community. It's definitely his plan both for the Israelites in Exodus and for us now. And so the story continues. So everything's going fine. They're chilling. 
They had the food. They're getting consistent meals now. They're not as scared. They have another water situation. Definitely they grumbled, bless their hearts. Definitely God came through, bless his heart. But then they're attacked for the first time by another nation, as the Malachites. And so they go against um, the Israelites. And so Moses says to Joshua, who is this great leader, who, of course, has his own book later on in the Bible, and he says, okay, Joshua, you're going to take the people and you're going you know, to go to war. So Moses goes up on this mountain. And when Moses has his hands up over the people, Joshua and his army win. They start winning. But as soon as his arms go down, he, they start losing. Well, this is a good time for when Moses has his arms up. But it's a significant problem that for the length of, say, a battle... Moses can't do that with his arms. That's not humanly possible. So how is it that God created a situation that the army needed Moses so badly and Moses was unable to provide that assistance on his own? What is God teaching them? So this is what happens. So when Moses, just kidding. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. Think of how humbling that is. Here's Joshua, this great leader, this amazing general, but he can only do a good job when this one dude up on a mountain has his hands up. Joshua, you are only as good as Moses' hands are high. You need him. And then Moses... Like, imagine your arms are shaking so hard, you need something to physically hold you in place. It feels like a particular kind of weakness, especially, like, these people's lives are depending on him, and he can't do it. He wants to, like, he has been the guy, but he can't save them without help. And then Aaron and her. Right? These guys aren't the big ones on the mountain. Nobody's like, you know who is the best leader from the Old Testament? Her. Loved him. My favorite character in the Bible. But perhaps we should, right? Aaron and her don't get any credit. They don't get any glory. They don't get any uh, accolades. No one's naming a church Saint Her, right? But they're the ones who really won the battle for them. It was their humility in saying, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to support you. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take care of you for the sake of the people. And when we see ourselves in the Bible, we, we ask ourselves, where are the places in our life where our arms are getting a little tired? Where are the places in our life where our legs are feeling a little weak? Where are the places where we need support? And are we wise enough to say to an Aaron and a her, I, I don't, I need help. I, I, you know, say to a friend, I need a, can you, do you want to get coffee? <laughs> Things are not awesome. Saying like, hey, will you pray for me? I'm feeling weak. This is hard. This is difficult. This is humility on behalf of all of these people. And why does God put this in? Because if we are going to be a nation 
that follows God's ways, that thrives, that doesn't just survive from watering hole to watering hole, we need community. We need someone to hold up our arms, and that requires honesty and vulnerability. I love to be the guy who has it all together, but I tell you what, when I came in this morning, <laughs> I was like, dead. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I've had a really long week. But my God doesn't need me to be strong to use me to do his work. My God needs me to be willing to say, listen, God, I can't fight like Joshua, but I can hold my arms up. Then do that for the glory of God. I, I can't, I, I don't, I can't like pray over the people like that, but I can hold some, I can hold an arm. I can scoot a rock. Sometimes you just have to scoot rocks for the glory of God, but that is important. And that's what God is doing here. And the last part of the story is the arrival of Jethro. Jethro, do we know who Jethro is? Is he a commonly known character? Oh, no, not so much. I'm sure there's some people who do. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, and he doesn't get enough credit either, which is funny. Like, these Old Testament stories have, like, all this good, rich stuff in it. So Jethro is this older, older guy, and he wasn't an Israelite, so he wasn't living with them. And he comes to visit Moses, and Moses' wife and kids had been staying with Jethro during some of the, you know, craziness of deliverance and all of that. And so he meets Moses, hears about all the stuff that happened, he praised God, he made a sacrifice to the Lord, he worshipped, he had this really beautiful experience with God. But then he took a look around at Moses' organization. And he was like, so Moses is judging the people's petty disputes. Moses is making all the sacrifices for the people. Moses is hearing God for the people. Moses is doing this for the people. Moses, Moses, Moses. And he says to him, son, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. So there's two things in here that's important to notice. And one is the wisdom of elderly people. And this should be a whole sermon, and it's not because we want to eat chili at some point, but we will do it on another week. But there is a special anointing to the elders in our community. Not necessarily our structure elders, although them too, love them. But also the elderly people in our community, the senior citizens in our community, and in our world, honestly. There is wisdom that has been built up over 70, 80, 90 years that goes largely untapped. And so when we're talking about building a wise nation, a good nation, God specifically includes an older person to bring wisdom into the situation. Young people like to wear ourselves out by doing things a new way all the time. And innovation's good, but there is wisdom to what people have been doing for 50 years, right? When you hire someone to fix your roof, do you hire, like, the, the guy fresh out? Or do you kind of like the old school guy 
for my money, I want a dude who has spent 40 years on a roof and who can tell me how they made the nails back in the day, right? When my kids were babies and I didn't know what I was doing, you bet I went and asked my grandmother, right? Because you learn things over the years. And so it was incredibly important to Moses and to God to listen to elder voices. And so Jethro comes in, this guy has seen some things, and he says, this is not how you do this. And he says something else that's incredibly important. He says, let me show you how. It's not, here's some criticism for you as you're working so hard. He stayed alongside Moses, and he implemented some structures. Okay, we're going to divide the people into groups. We're going to put people over those groups. Those people are going to report to you. We're going to have judges that you're going to train up. And the Bible says that Jethro stayed with Moses until all of this was carried out. He walked alongside this young guy until it was all carried out. He didn't just drop and go. He walked with him. And so if you're in a younger generation and life is feeling kind of like a lot and there's a lot going on and you don't have it all quite together, may I humbly suggest that you find a Jethro. May I humbly suggest that you find a Jethret. <laughs> right? This wisdom is here in the community. This wisdom's here in our neighborhoods. This wisdom is here in your own family, likely. And it is a terrible shame whenever it goes untapped. And if you're in an older generation, may I suggest that your responsibility to the body of Christ did not end at any point? And that speaking encouragement and advice and walking alongside the younger people is your job. You don't have to do the things. Je Jethro didn't do the things. Jethro was an older man, and he was tired, and that was fair. Jethro walked alongside him, advising him. There is a holiness in the advice that comes from an older generation to a younger, and that was really important here. And so church, kind of as we are closing, we need to find ourselves in the story. Where are the places that we feel like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's something that I need. Maybe there's places where we're like, I, I'm getting a little tired and I need to depend on God. I haven't been depending on God. Honestly, I've been complaining a little bit. Honestly, I've been just kind of hoping things are going to work out. But I need daily dependence on God. I need to touch back in every day. I need to be reminded of who God is. And maybe you're, you know, the kind of person who likes to do it all yourself because you got it all together. And might, might I humbly suggest that you need someone to hold up your arms. And if you're the kind of person whose view is so much in your own life and what's going on, may I humbly suggest perhaps lifting up your eyes and noticing who in your life and just outside your circles, arms are beginning to tremble with exhaustion. Because maybe you're the kind of person who needs to hold up their arms. We are all Aaron and her. We are all Moses. We are all all of these things in this story. There's a time for all of this. 
but asking God, what time is it for me? How do I do this? How do I be this? That matters. That matters. So we're going to go into a time of communion, um, and the ministry team's going to come up, and I would just like to invite you during this time of communion, as we're communing alongside each other, as we're communing before the Lord, to reflect on the places in your life where God is calling you into deeper communion with others, deeper communion with himself. And if you're online, we want to remind you that as you commune, you're communing with us here. That you are not alone, that you are not by yourself, that you are not forgotten, that we remember you, and we're grateful you're here. Even if you're behind a screen, you're still part of our community. So I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? And then we'll do our communion. Father God, we thank you that you do not ask us to live life alone. That you require a dependence on you and you come through every time. That in the places where we can't see you and all we can see is wilderness, that you bring forth streams of clean water for us to drink. In the places where we're hungry and and desperate, we thank you that you bring us your food, your bread of life every day. God, in the places where we're tired, in the places where we're, where we're isolated, we thank you that you looked at humanity and you knew it wasn't good for us to be alone. God, give us the wisdom and the boldness to reach out to other people. Give us the wisdom and boldness and vulnerability to create community, to live in community, to engage in community. God, change our hearts to be more like you in Jesus' name. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he did the bread first. I'm used to the pack, not gonna lie. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and he gave thanks, gave it to them to drink and he said this is my blood which is poured out for you when you drink this remember me and so when we eat this bread and we drink this wine we proclaim the death burial resurrection new life of Jesus until he comes